we're concluding our series called First Today. If you want to turn your bulletin over, you'll see the direction where we're headed here. In this series, we've just been asking the question, what would it mean? You know, what would it, if God was first in our financial world, what, what would that mean? And we began the series a couple weeks ago just looking at the very first time ever recorded in the Bible where there was an offering given to God. It's in Genesis 4 there with Cain and Abel. And we learned in that story that when we think about, you know, the rightful place of God in this area, this huge area for every one of us, it, it is first place. And in that, that first message, we also just learned about how all of our possessions and all of our money, every one of us in the room, we're just managers. None of us, we, we don't own any of it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And that's a very important perspective. And then Alex did a great job last week in helping just kind of continue moving forward in this series and looking at what would it mean for God to be first as he talked about, you know, generosity really flows out of trusting God to care for us. I like that way he described that, you know, you bet on God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. And then he, he talked about it also really flows out of a vision of saying, I want to make a lasting difference with my life. I'm just not living here for today, you know, uh, even just for my years here on this earth. I'm, I'm living with a, an eternal perspective. I want to leave a lasting legacy. And that brings us to the last message in this series. I just want us to bring to the Bible this morning the question, what, what marks a life where, you know, we're where God is first in this area of our finances. What, what, what is that kind of life like? And I want to begin with a verse from Psalm 116 that I want to ask you to just sort of feel the emotion of these words as the psalmist writes, because I think this begins to answer the question, begins to give us a, a sense of what life would feel like and be like when God is first in this, in this big area. So this is from Psalm 116, 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? That's what life is like. There's just this sense as we put God first in our financial world where we, we have a, a growing understanding of the generosity of God in our life. That God is a giver. He's not a taker. And it just heightens our sensitivity to the daily provision and goodness of God as we live with him first in this area. And it just, it just causes us to be uh, amazed and in increasingly awestruck by the, the goodness and the kindness and, and the love and the provision of God that just keeps coming at you and me. I mean, it comes at us every single day. Like the Bible says, his mercies in our lives, lives are new every single morning we awaken to his wonderful mercy. And then I, I like how the end of Psalm 23 says, Surely, Lord, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. This, this picture, this sense that as you and I walk through our days, the love and goodness of God just following right after us every step of the way. And there's just this sense as we put God first in this area and live relationally with him in, in this way of... of uh, of, of having a, a sense of gratitude about life, a sense of contentment in life, a, a, a sense of just wanting to worship and, and, and thank God for His provision daily and His generosity. And, and then a, just an increasing desire to say, I, I, want, I want to become more and more like you, God, 
in being open-handed in the way in which I live, looking to just see how might I be kind and generous and, and, and giving to those around me and, and needs that, that come along in my life. So I want to go on then to the next passage I have for us from 1 John 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. So it says here if we're not moved to want to to wanna be uh, giving and helping to meet people's needs is God's love in us. In other words, a, a sign that he is first in our heart is this desire to be generous, to, to be a giving person, to be aware of and sensitive to the needs of, of those around us. That This is just kind of what, what life is like for us. And so I want to share a story of the kind of transformation that happens when God gets a hold of our heart like this. It's the story of Zacchaeus. If you remember that story, it's in Luke 19. He's a tax collector. So he'd been given the authority by the Roman government to collect from people whatever the going, you know, tax rate was for the Romans, the government, along with whatever else he could coerce out of people. These were people often that were, you know, kind of corrupt in this way. They were despised. Tax collectors were hated people. But Jesus comes to him and picks Zacchaeus out of a crowd, and he says, I'm going to have a meal with you. And so they sit down one-on-one -on -one and have a meal. We're not privy to the conversation, but I want to speculate on how it went based on, well, I'll share with you why I think maybe it went like this here in a moment. But I, I think Jesus just said Zacchaeus, I mean, Jesus, he knows the heart, so he's like, your heart and your hands are clutched on, grabbed tightly to the wrong things, you know. Your heart should be just wrapped around God's love for you and, and uh, love for others. Your hands should be open to receiving his love and extending that love, just passing that love and goodness on to others, but you're, you're just so obsessed with, with clutching on to, you know, things and, and grabbing tightly as, as much, you know, money and possessions as you can, Zacchaeus, and, and, and then I think he just stunned him. I think he stunned Zacchaeus as he described for him how Christ himself was going to open his hands up and receive spikes into them for Zacchaeus. That he was going to sacrifice his own body and blood so that this lonely, ostracized man could be forgiven of his sins and adopted into the family of God. And he may very well have talked to Zacchaeus about how whenever Zacchaeus prays in the name of Jesus, he, he can just be confident that, 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 that Christ is going to be there answering his prayers, that his prayers will be answered according to the love and the wisdom of God, that he can be confident about that in his life, and that when his time here on earth was over, that Jesus would have prepared a place for him in heaven that would be so magnificent that not even a king's you know, palace could compare, look like a shack in comparison. And I think at a certain point in this meal and conversation that they had together that Jesus said to described to Zacchaeus something he had been experiencing but had, had been in denial about. 
That when a person orients their life, his or her life, around the acquisition of money and possessions and is successful in doing so, that they begin to recognize, you know what? Money, these things, they don't truly, you know, really uh, satisfy. And I think that, that, uh, um, that, that Jesus then looks at Zacchaeus and he just says, Zacchaeus, God needs to be first place in your life, in every area of your life, including your financial world. Now, why do I think the conversation went something like that? Because of how he responded. Because we do know how Zacchaeus responded to this meal and conversation with Jesus. Let me read it to you. Luke 19, 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus then says, Today salvation has come into this home. You see, and so Zacchaeus just illustrates for us the kind of open-handed generosity that is the result of a heart being transformed by the grace and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and just the, the daily provision and goodness of God in our lives. And so in this last message, I just want to talk to you about two principles that facilitate this kind of relationship this kind of financial and spiritual relationship we have with God when he is first but before we get into these principles I just want to make a statement please hear me on this please don't feel condemned when we begin to talk about tithing if you begin to feel convicted don't let yourself be condemned please don't ever feel condemned at BSCC that would never be what God wants Sometimes, yes, we feel a sense of conviction. Sometimes we feel a sense of remorse and, and that we, want, we need to make some changes. That's very different. In Romans 8, 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Right now, ongoing, no condemnation in Christ. And so as a church, we help people come to know Jesus. And as we follow Jesus and seek to grow in our faith and relationship with God, we can just know on an ongoing basis there is no condemnation. So I'm just declaring this is a no-condemnation room right now, okay? This is a condemnation-free zone. Do I have a deal on that with you, church? Deal? Okay, good. All righty. Well, then let's move in to these principles. The first one is this. The tithe belongs to God. We looked in that first message about why God commends Abel's offering. We said he commended Abel's offering because Abel brought him the choicest the choicest portions of the firstborn of the flock. Abel brought him his best and he brought him his first. And in that message, we talked about how God cannot be second because he is preeminent. He is above all. He is higher than all. He is before all. He is first of all. And when you and I put God first in our lives, then everything will come into order. I'm not saying you won't have problems. I'm not saying you won't have any difficult circumstances, but I am trying to emphasize this. Everything will then come into order in your life. And so when God is not first, then everything is out of order. And God says to us, as he talks in the Bible about tithing, he says, the first 10% belongs to me. Before we pay our bills, we, we don't wait to see, am I going to have anything left over for God this month? We give in faith that first 10%, trusting then relationally that as we do that, he will provide for us and he will bless us and take good care of us.
We see an example of this in Leviticus 29, or I'm sorry, 27. 30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees. What belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the to the Lord. Now the word tithe is a, is a quantitative term. It means 10%. We get introduced to the tithe hundreds of years before the law when Abraham brings to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, 10% of everything. Jesus in Matthew 23 said, yes, surely you, you ought to tithe. The tithe is a principle for our relationship with God taught throughout the Bible. Now here it says, again, we just emphasize this, a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord, it says. In week one, we talked about, again, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, so it all belongs to Him, but Scripture also says He gives us everything that we have for our enjoyment. That's, that's what he, he wants us to enjoy what we have. But He does say, I want you to bring the first 10% back to Me. You return the tithe to Me. Now, the number 10 in the Bible often is used by God as a test of something. How many plagues were there in Egypt? There were 10. God tests Pharaoh 10 times. How many commandments does God give to Moses to test the people of Israel? 10. There were 10 commandments. In Matthew 25, how many bridesmaids are tested? I'll give you a hint. There were five that were wise, five that did not have a clue. Together that makes 10. How many days were Daniel and his friends tested as recorded in chapter 1 of Daniel? Ten days of testing. In Revelation chapter 2, how many days of testing does it talk about will happen there? Ten days of testing. How many disciples were there? Ten? No, there were twelve. I was just testing you, okay? But the Bible does use the word ten oftentimes as a test that God gives to us. I think that is certainly the case here. Where he says, I want you to bring the first ten percent back to me. Now, here's something I like about this test. It's the same for every person. It is equal for every human being. It doesn't matter if you make $3,000 in a year or $30,000 in a year or $300,000 in a year. It's a penny on every dime. It's the same for every person. That's just what it is. And so no matter what your income level, you can tithe. And when you give that first 10% back to God and you return that to Him, He will bless your life abundantly. He will provide for you in incredible ways. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, I just want to illustrate. I want to, I want to have a visual kind of example of this first principle that God says, the tithe belongs to me. And so I want to have three of our band members come up and join me on the stage here. Stuart and Mike and Bill, if they'll come on up. Let's uh, give them some love for coming up and, and joining us on the stage. We appreciate it, guys. They've already been serving us this morning here on the band, and uh, so they, they, they know what I'm going to do here. And uh, okay, let's see. Okay, so we got Mike here. Uh, this, is, this is Mike. Uh, he was on the guitar, I noticed, Stuart, uh, on the keyboards, and Bill on the drums this morning. So these are our, our three guys that are helping me. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to go on away on a trip. It's going to be a long trip. And I've, I've already left some provision for Tammy, but I want to leave even more provision for her, and I'm going to leave it to these three friends of mine. And so, guys, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to give each of you $10,000 a month, and I just want you to send 1,000 of that on to Tammy. So 90% you can keep it. I want you to send that 10%, that 1,000 on to her while I'm on my trip. So I'm gone, and I'm, I'm speaking, you know, daily 
pretty much with Tammy about, you know, how, how's the trip going, things like that. After about three or four months, though, I, I think, hmm, I, I, wonder how, I wonder how this provision is, is coming into Tammy through, through my friends here and what I've asked them to do. And so I just check with say, how, how, how's, how's that provision coming in? And what, what, about, what about Mike? How, how's Mike doing? And she's like, Mike, I, or Dave, Mike, Mike is he's doing great. $1,000 every month he's sending to me. And it comes on the first day of the month, March 1, April 1, May 1. He's very faithful. He's like, I was glad to hear that about Mike. All right, good. What, what about Stuart? How, how, how's, how's Stuart doing? And Tammy's like, Dave, Stuart is sending me $2,000 a month. Like, $2,000 a month? I, I just asked him to send $1,000. So I'm like, now again, this is my wife. Why is Stuart sending my wife $2,000 a month? You know, I'm like, but no, I'm really, I'm glad about that I've, I, and everything. And so then I'm like, okay, well, what about Bill? How, you know, what, how, how's Bill doing? She says, uh, Dave, we need to talk about Bill. <laughs> why, why do we need to talk about Bill? <laughs> well, the first month he sent me $700. The second month he sent me $400. This last month he didn't send me anything. What, what do you think about that? How, how do you think I'll feel about that? You know, I'm, I'm sending Bill $10,000 a month. I mean, he can do with $9,000 what he wants. I'm just asking him to send $1,000 on. Again, this, this, is, this is my wife, so I, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut Bill off because <laughs> I can't trust him. <laughs> and I'm going to take that $10,000 a month, and I'm going to split it up between Stuart and Mike because I can, I can trust these two guys, okay? You can be seated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So Jesus says, I'm going to go away. On a, I'm going to go away. I'm going to come back. And while I'm gone, I want you to take care of my wife. And what, isn't that what the Bible calls the church? The bride of Christ? And I just wonder if our tithe isn't more personal to Jesus than what we tend to think that it is. When, when I talk to people about tithing, the number one reason I, I hear for you know, why I don't tithe, it's not because people don't think they should, it's I can't afford to tithe, Dave. I, I just can't afford it. And this is where I want to transition into the second principle in this relationship with God that we have when he's first in our financial world. And again, I just want to reiterate, no condemnation. This is a condemnation-free zone. You will never be able to afford to tithe until you begin to tithe. And that's the second principle here. Let's take a look at it. The tithe invites God's blessing. This is the one promise that he makes to us in the Bible where he just comes right out and says, test me. So often in the Bible it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But here he says, test my faithfulness. Test my trustworthiness. We read in Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, the Lord Almighty says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough in, uh, to store it. God knows how challenging this area is for us as we, as we think about stepping out, you know, in and, and faith and, and, and beginning to, to tithe. And, and so he's like, just go ahead, test me, and see if you don't, if you bring the first 10% back to me, if nine-tenths does not then become greater than ten-tenths in your life. Go ahead, he says. Just, just test me. 
that if you bring the tithe to me and see if I will not enter into your financial world in such a way that surprises you and that provides for your needs. Robert Morris is the senior pastor at Gateway Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He's helped to me in this series. In fact, that example, example I had of the guys coming up on the stage, I got that from Robert. But I just want to read a little portion of his story to you as I heard him tell his story. This is what he said. He said, when I got saved, Debbie, his wife, and him, we were making $600 a month combined income. This is 1981. And let me be honest with you, she made $400 a month and I made $200 a month. And let me tell you why I tell you that. I want all of you to know that you're looking at a man today that without Christ had the ability to make $200 a month, he said. So, so I hear this message on tithing and I think, well, that's right, it's in the Bible. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to give my life to him now, so I'm going to do it God's way. And so we gave $60 that day. Make $600, gave $60. That's on a Sunday. The next day on Monday, my boss calls me in and says, I'm going to give you a $200 a month raise. I'm doubling your salary. And here's what I'll never forget. He looks me right in the eye and says, and I have no idea why I'm doing this, he said. <laughs> he said, it was God encouraging me. Do it my way. It works my way. It doesn't make sense, but it will work. Over the years, whenever Tammy and I have returned the first 10% back to God, it's been amazing to see how He's blessed us, how He's provided for us. I was thinking back, you know, we'd been here about 10 years, and we got hit with like $3,500 of medical expenses, just bang, bang, within a week, a couple of different things just added up to that. It's like, whoa. Within seven days, we had received, you know, a surprise gift, Gifts that came in that totaled right about $100 within that overall, you know, medical expenses that we had had. The tithe invites God's blessings. Over and over and over we read in the Bible where God says, I will remember your generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul is writing about this offering that the churches are taking, taking up for the people in Jerusalem, the believers there that were going through a very difficult time. Toward the end of this appeal, he writes uh, these words. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap. What word would we anticipate there? Sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. It's, it's, again, it's, it's a heart issue. It's, it's God first in my heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And as this happens in verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See all the alls there in verse 8? There's a bunch of them. God says, as we are generous in all things, at all times, we will have all that we need. Now, what does the word all include? It includes all of your material and financial needs. Not necessarily all our wants, but all our needs. And there's a difference. I mean, God is not obligated to make you and me healthy and wealthy, like the prosperity preachers like to say. But He promises to meet our needs. And the scope of that provision... Church goes beyond just our financial needs. It includes our emotional and relational needs. God knows when you need a friend. He knows when you need a listening ear. 
He knows when you need an extra touch of his presence. He he knows when you need encouragement and he knows how to provide for those needs. He knows when you're weary and you're just worn out. You feel like you, you can't take another step and he knows how to meet that need. He knows when you're fearful. You're hurting because you just lost a loved one that means so much to you. He knows when you're worried and distraught about medical tests, the results that you're waiting for, and He knows how to meet those needs. I can't tell you how many times I've felt like over the years, I'm, I'm getting toward the end of my rope, and there would be, you know, God would send an email to me, or He would send a phone call, or just a compassionate friend to to just meet my need right in the nick of time. But it's not just you know, financially or emotional or relational needs. God promises he'll, he'll intervene and He'll meet the deepest needs of our soul, our spiritual needs. Johnny Erickson Todd, I've shared her story before. You know, she, uh, as a teenager, was in a swimming accident, became paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of her life. But I don't know if I've told this part of her story that shortly after that happened, she was in the hospital one night. It was after visiting hours. She was all alone. She was deeply depressed and fearful. What she didn't know that was one of her best friends had been hiding in the waiting room behind a couch. And then she, on her hands and knees, she snuck past the nurse's station so nobody could see her and snuck into Johnny's room. And Johnny was like, you're going to have to get out of here. You're going to get us both in trouble. And her friend was like, I'll be okay. And these two young ladies had been a part of a ministry, a student ministry called Young Life. And one of the things they often did at Young Life, they would, they would just sing worship songs together, just hymns and songs that were deeply meaningful to the young people. And so in this moment of tremendous fear that Johnny had, she said her, her friend just crawled into bed with her and sang these words to her. Man of sorrows, what a name for the, the Son of God who came. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And Johnny said as she thought about how she had a Savior that knew sorrow that she had a Savior that knew pain, that she had a Savior who knew what it was like to not be able to move as He hung there on the cross, that those thoughts brought her tremendous encouragement and comfort and hope and strength. So as we look at Johnny's life now, decades later, you know, unable to use her arms and legs, and she has touched millions and millions of lives with a wonderful, positive message of, of Jesus through her, her writings and her, her uh, speeches and, and, and her artwork that she's done. She tells about how years later then she went to a high school reunion hoping to be able to see this friend that had been such a, an encouragement to her, but she wasn't there, and so she was disappointed. But then she heard that this, just two or three days before the reunion, this friend's son had taken his life. So she called her friend and she said, I'm so sorry I can't be with you right now. But if I could, I would crawl into bed with you and I would sing to you, man of sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So we, we have a God who has promised that he will meet our every need through Jesus Christ in 
Philippians, again, Paul's writing about the generosity of the church there, how the church had been helping over the years to meet his material needs. And included in this part of the letter, he writes, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account, you see, because of your generosity. I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I've amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. For many of us, verse 19 has has meant a lot to us. But have we remembered, have we recognized it's in the con- this promise, this statement is in the context of, 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 of generosity, God's response to our generosity. See, just in the Scriptures, time and time again, God promises us He will remember our generosity. He will remember our giving. And so this issue, ultimately, that we're looking at, it's not a monetary issue, it's a trust issue. And I'll just be honest, that it surprises me how many followers of Jesus have never, ever ventured out in faith and truly trusted God in this area. I I, I don't understand how some people can trust God for their salvation. I mean, their eternal destiny, but not trust Him with their finances. Trust God to give them strength in the storms of life and answer their prayers, but not trust Him in this area. Again, Please hear me. No condemnation. But God desires for us to have the faith and courage to step forward financially into this relationship with Him where He can bless us, do great things in our lives and through our lives. And these principles that we've looked at this morning are really foundational to that happening. The tithe belongs to God. And the tithe invites God's blessings. And I'm confident every person in the room will love this cycle that you experience as you get caught up in this part of your relationship with God where you are generous and you receive His provision. And you are generous and you receive His abundant provision. And you are generous and you receive His provision because God loves to entrust His resources to those who are faithful with them. Well, before we pray, I want to just share about a ministry that we have called Financial Freedom. If you'd like to sit down with someone from this team, uh, they'd be glad to kind of just help look one-on-one with you about a financial plan. Uh, This this is, you know, their their passion, their their gifting and, and sense of calling in the church to just serve and love people in this way. They'll just meet you right where you are. Look at things like, you know, budgeting and how to tackle debt, things like that. So we've got a sign on the table out in the lobby if you'd like to talk with someone there. Uh, Tom, our minister of engagement, will be out there. I think Donald might be out there who helps lead this ministry. Just, just encourage you to take advantage of, of that ministry team here. As we come into our time of prayer, I want to ask you if you would to please close your eyes for just a moment, I'm not asking you to do that to you know, try to create any kind of atmosphere. I just want you to be able to have a moment alone with God where you're not distracted by anything around you. And I'd like to ask you to say a prayer, not aloud, just in your heart, to pray, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? Will you do that? Just take a moment. Lord, what are you saying to me? 
God might speak something to you right now. Or it might be sometime this week. But here's what I'm asking you. Will you put God first in this area and then watch what he does? Father, I pray that you help all of us. We all struggle in different areas and we've all struggled in this area. Father, will you help us to, to put you first in every area of our lives, including our finances? For this is your rightful place. There is no one beside you or before you. You alone are God. You alone are first. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.